You are now listening to the Backlook Cinema Podcast with Zach and Zoe. Thank you for joining us as we talk about the movies of yesteryear. You can reach us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter by searching for Backlook Cinema. Check our show notes for more info. And now, let's get it in. Hi, this is Zach. And this is Zoe. And thank you for joining us right here at the Backlook Cinema Podcast with Zach and Zoe. And this is the 12th episode. And the movie we saw today was... A soldier story. A soldier story. That's what I'm talking about. Uh, just heads up, we are recording this podcast on uh, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. birthday, the holiday. Happy Dr. Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. birthday, Zachary. Yeah. Normally, if I was in school, I'd be out of it because, you know, celebration time. It is a holiday. That means no school. Yeah, it's a holiday. And, and on this day, they say that we should... It should be a day of service that we should do something for somebody, you know, uh, while we're serving people. Um, I, I I didn't do any of that. Uh, I just, I know I should have. And, and, and uh, I plan on getting into it one year, but uh, it didn't it didn't happen this year. So um, the reason we started this show is to strengthen bond between uh, father and son. I, Zoe, and my son, Zach, watch movies that I love. When I was growing up in the 70s, the 80s, and the early 90s. And then we get Zach's impression on these great movies. Also, you can get t-shirts, hoodies, mugs, face masks, and a bunch of other items at our website, backlookcinema.com. Also at backlookcinema.com, you can leave us direct feedback, comments, suggestions, questions. It's right there for you. Just go ahead and leave some feedback at that website. And please, if you like our show, then rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast app that you might be using. So what you been up to? Playing Dragon Ball Z Kakarot. Aha! It, I thought that was an old game. No, it's not an old. Well, it came out, I think, 2016. Don't remember. Not 2016, no. Uh, 2018, 2019. One of the two years. Well, that's video game years. That's old. It's not that old. <laughs> that's old, man. Yeah, Haven't you played old. that game before? I mean, I played it, but didn't beat it because I gave it to someone to ball, and then I had to wait to get it back. And then when I did get it back, I was like, eh, I'll get to it later. Who'd you loan it to? Malik, who else? Oh. (laughs) (laughs) And right now, I'm on the part where Gohan is trying to find out who he is after his father sacrificed himself, and he beat Cell, so I'm on that part. And then after I'm done with that, I'm going to be when Gohan is basically an adult. So um so this is a, like a, a story type thing like yeah. an RPG thing. Yeah, this is an RPG story. So you start from the beginning of Dragon Ball Z where Gohan gets kidnapped by Goku's brother all the way down to Kid Buu. Okay. Uh, I gave you a homework assignment. You remember what that was? No, I don't. Exactly. <laughs> the reason why I don't remember. I remember I said I need you to listen to Queen Latifah. Oh yeah, and I didn't because I forgot about oh, it. Oh okay. Well, let, let's let's move on that. I know you don't listen to a whole lot of music, but get get to moving on that. I'll try. What, what's the last uh, like song, or album, or whatever that you listen to that you can remember? I don't know. Don't know. When's the last time you listened to music? Like a week ago. What's wrong with you? Well, that's not that's not too bad. You don't remember who he was? I see you wearing a Slipknot T-shirt. I mean, that doesn't mean anything. <laughs> 
think it was one of the Linkin Park albums. I can't remember. Okay, all right. Yeah, I, I like Linkin Park. That, that's a good group. That, that should just stop messing with my hair. I might pick that up on the mic. <laughs> so, uh, let's see. Uh, so is that all? That's yeah, that's all. Oh, okay. Because I saw you were, you was playing SpongeBob earlier. Yeah, that's just the game. That's, yeah, that's yeah, not that's, that's not what I did last week. Oh, didn't okay. do in the weekend. That was just a few hours ago before you had me watch this movie that I didn't want to watch. Oh, okay. All right. Cool. So, um, let's see. What did I do? So I mentioned music. So I, I've been trying to uh, to listen to a lot. Uh, actually, I listen to a lot of music because uh, sometimes I need it to keep me awake at night. Because uh, that's when I primarily work at night, and sometimes music is the only thing that can keep me awake. <laughs> so, uh, just listen to a lot, a lot of uh, R&B from the '80s, um, and then uh, moving up to to current music today. And there's some people that be like, "Man, they don't be singing no R&B music today." Man, there is some R&B music out there if you just pay attention. You ain't even got to look hard for it, especially. On the female side, you got LMA, you got uh, Queen Naja, you got uh, all these these great artists. I'm trying to think of Jasmine Sullivan. That's one of my favorites. That's uh, you know from from recent times, and she just got a new album out called Hotels. Uh, Ho has a non-traditional spelling, but you get the idea. <laughs> and then uh, um, uh, as far as male R and B albums. Oh, shoot, man, I can't talk no more. As far as male R&B artists out there, you got this, uh, I just found out there's this new, uh, well, I don't know how new they are. They've probably been out for a while, but I just found out about them. It's a Canadian duo. They call themselves Division, but it's it's spelled D-V-S-N, and it's pronounced Division, so they're being all creative and stuff. Because <laughs> I was looking them up, trying to find them on my phone. I was like, what is this division? And I could not find it because <laughs> they chose a non-traditional spelling. And uh, I think I mentioned Roe James. And then uh, there's this guy named Lucky Day. You heard of this guy? No. He did this song called Roll Some More. And uh, I'm like, yeah, that's that's the vibe I'm looking for. <laughs> uh, Roe James, uh, I, I mean, uh, Lucky Day going to have me singing singing up in this joint. So anyways, uh, yeah, and, and of course, I've been playing my sniper game, uh, and uh, I'm, I'm close to finishing um, Outer Worlds, that video game. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to listen to, to Rambo, but uh, it kind of got slow, and uh, when, when audiobooks start getting slow, because that's the main way I consume my books, uh, I, st- I'm, I was like, I can't keep up. And so I got to stop listening for a while. And then, and then, I, and it's only eight hours. I could have listened to that like in one night. And there were books that I have listened to in one night. With this one, I'm struggling with. <laughs> I mean, it's still good, but it's like, uh, I guess I need to change my schedule when I listen to books. I need to listen to them near the beginning of the night and not near the end of the night where I'm already tired. So I got to switch that up. But uh, I want to be done with it. And, and then I got all of these books because I got audible.com. So I got to figure out uh, which of these. I need to suspend that, that uh, what you call it, that uh, subscription. Yeah, that subscription because it's like I got way too many books right now. <laughs> it's like, hey, this is ridiculous. <laughs> I got uh, Barack Obama's book. Apparently, it's the first of, I guess, two or three volumes. And the first volume is 900 pages. Like, that dude, that dude can write. Dude. That's kind of ridiculous. <laughs> That's, 
<laughs> and uh, and it reads it, and he reads it himself. So um, I don't know. It's it's gonna be kind of tricky. It's like I bought it now. I'm having buyer's remorse. But with with Audible, you can return books that you don't like. So that's awesome. It's not an endorsement. It's not a commercial. You know what our commercials are like. I'm just telling you what I'm doing. <laughs> uh, and that, that's basically it. Uh, I have. Uh, I'm trying to do some more drawings. I put, I put a drawing out on Instagram. Did you see it? No, because I completely forgot about it. See, see, that's how you do. That's how you do me. You see how your children do you, fathers. Uh, You're fine. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. So. Uh, Yes, I'm trying to. I'm trying to draw some more. I discovered a new function on my drawing program. I I, I want to try it out. I, I, I'm still I'm still messing with it. So um, the movie, uh, as we mentioned earlier, a soldier story. What do you think of the soldier story? It was good. Yes, it was uh, one of my favorite movies growing up because it's a uh, Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday and his. The whole thing is with the civil rights movement and race relations. I, I thought we decided, I decided we, we could watch a movie to talk about race that didn't necessarily have to feature Martin Luther King Jr. So uh, I chose The Soldier Story. And um, the synopsis, uh, written by Anthony Hughes, goes as such. In a town of Tynan, Louisiana, a black master sergeant is found shot to death just outside the local army base. A military lawyer, also a black man, is sent from Washington to conduct an investigation facing an uncooperative chain of command and fearful black troops. Captain Davenport must battle with deceit and prejudice in order to find out exactly who really did kill Sergeant Waters. So uh, this was released November 2nd, 1984 by Columbia Pictures. It grossed over $21.8 million on a $6 million budget. That's, uh, and it had rave reviews. Like, everybody liked this movie. Uh, anybody, everybody who saw it. Now, obviously, it wasn't like a super blockbuster, like uh, like an action movie or nothing like that. But it, it uh, did pretty good. Made more than twice its budget. And any, everybody who saw it really liked it. Uh, so this movie starring, uh, oh, shoot, you know, I, I left out one, one of the most important uh, he was one of the most important characters. The actor I hadn't seen before or since, but <laughs> he was one of the most important characters, and that, that was the uh, actor that played CJ. So, um, but I'm gonna start with uh, the main man, Howard E. Rollins Jr. He played Captain Davenport, and I know him, folks my age, we know him better from In the Heat of the Night, the TV show with uh, Carol O'Connor. And uh, he's basically one of the most impressive figures in this movie. What do you think of uh, Henry E. Rollins Jr.'s acting? He was really good with his acting. Yes, he was good. Uh, what about the character he played? Also really good. Yeah, he was. Uh, he's basically inspirational. Uh, that character is like, I want to be like that man when I grow up. That's the type. <laughs> you see, he's trying really hard to to set a great example of a human being. In in uh in that movie, so um, I'm trying to talk and scroll on my phone at the same time. Not not the best practice. That that is actually bad practice. But I'm trying to find this particular actor because I didn't put that particular actor in my notes. Okay, I found him. So let me go down the list. Adolf Caesar as Sergeant Waters. 
He was a uh, what you call it. So he was uh, he played uh, the sergeant that got killed. He's actually a master sergeant, and uh, he was in. He was also in the color purple. He's also been in a bunch of different uh, shows and movies and whatnot. But uh, I, I only know him for from a few examples. Uh, but he is a powerful actor. Uh, Art Evans, do you? Uh, he played Private Wilkie. Do you remember Art? Uh, uh, oh shoot, I can't talk no more. Do you can't. <laughs> no, I don't remember him. I'm not good with faces like that. Um, so you don't remember what he looked like from the movie Art Evans? He played no. Private Wilkie. No, I don't remember what he looks like. <laughs> he he was a uh, private with the he had white hair on top. Oh, him, the one that got his stripes removed. Right. So yeah. you remember you remember him now? A little bit, not that much, but a little bit. He but I like, think I know what you're talking about because Die Hard Two. Right. He was in Die Hard Two. He was the one that got shot when he went to go repair something. Uh, he wanted to go to one of the towers. Right. 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 Uh, he was the one that helped. Uh, what's his name? Uh, What's, I'm trying to think of the character's name, not John, John something or other. He says John. That's it. Yeah, so he is John. <laughs> it's amazing. I can't remember the name of the diehard's main character, but he was the main guy to help John out uh, in solving uh, the, the terrorist attack. Um, so uh, he was also uh, Art Evans in Fright Night, which is definitely going on the list. <laughs> no. Uh, David Allen Greer, he played Corporal Cobb. Us old heads remember him from In Living Color. Uh, basically, he's one of the, the funniest people on the show. Uh, it, one of his characters, In Living Color, was similar to Saturday Night Live. It was a sketch show. So one of the one of the things he played was he played like a blonde blues man, always asking somebody uh, about it. You know, he wrote a song about it. He's like. Uh, I, I tripped it. I tripped on the sidewalk. I wrote a song about it. I wrote a song about it when he he go. I, I was walking on the sidewalk and then I tripped and I fell. Just <laughs> why? Yeah, he's he's also he's been in a plethora of uh, many forms of entertainment in movies and films. But the thing that a lot of us remember most for is uh, in Living Color. Uh, Robert Townsend, he played Corporal Ellis. So um, I know you remember this dude. Corporal Ellis was the, the dude that followed Captain Davenport around all the time. Yeah. He was driving him around. So uh, uh, Robert Townsend is a comedian. Uh, he's a director, actor, producer, et cetera, et cetera. He produced a lot of his own shows. So uh, a lot of his the things that he's appeared on is something like Robert Townsend Presents, but uh, one, of, one of the things that a lot of us remember him for is Meteor Man. Uh, not going on the list. Not a great movie, but uh, I'm proud of him. For doing, oh, he did that. He did. I think he did a movie called The Hollywood Shuffle. <laughs> uh, but I never saw that movie, but I heard that it was funny. Uh, but yeah, he's, he's basically a huge figure uh, in, our, in my childhood growing up. Um, Denzel Washington. Who could that be? Some strange actor fellow. Denzel Washington. Who who in the world heard of this guy? Huh? Huh? Do you know who that is? Why why are you even asking uh, yeah. this question? Do you know who that is? I, I don't know. I've seen him that. in a couple of movies and you can't lie that you have either. So I I don't even know why. Especially when you have it in no time about, oh, who hasn't he been what hasn't what he been? hasn't he been in? This is Denzel Washington. He's like the captain of acting. He is 
he's outstanding. He's everywhere. He he's just prolific. Uh, just a few of his credits: uh, the Book of Eli, Training Day, for which he was awarded the Academy Award, and his character is Alonzo in that movie. <laughs> yeah, you're real proud of that, aren't you? Yes. Uh, it's it's rare, rarely do you hear that name. Yeah, I mean, you hear the name Zachary in movies all the time, and in the yeah, as a villain. Or, or a good guy, it doesn't matter, but Alonzo, he was a villain in this movie too, but man, you rarely, rarely do you hear that. Do you know the second place I've heard my name? No, what? In, in the game that I'm playing right now, there's uh-huh. a minor character named Alonzo, and I'm totally shocked. Spelt uh-huh. the same way and everything. A lot of times I use a, a variation of the spelling, but it's spelled, I'm like, oh my God, there it is again, I'm popular again. And You're then of very course, proud of that. Then again, it, of course, there's Alonzo Mourning, that normalized my name for at least for a few years <laughs> and then he's also in john q in philadelphia he could have won an academy award in any of those movies uh not this one though because he was a minor character it should have gone to uh either howard e rollins jr or uh or maybe not him so much but definitely adolph caesar he should have won he was nominated for one he should have won but you know racism so <laughs> And so the actor I was looking up, hold on a second, he played uh, C.J. Memphis. So his name is Larry Wiley. And I only wanted to mention him because he's one of the more important characters in this film. So uh, this was directed by Norman Jewison. It's notable because he had a really hard time trying to convince somebody to make this movie. what what was you gonna say? Oh no! Oh okay. Um, he also did Jesus Christ Superstar in the Heat of the Night. The TV show in the Heat of the Night was based on the movie in the Heat of the Night, which is probably based on a play, but I did not do the research for that. But um, that it was such a powerful movie that they continued it as a play. Uh, Moonstruck, which at one point I thought I saw, then I realized I did not see that movie. Uh, so like I know when I seen a share movie, Cher made a few movies uh, earlier, like in the '80s. You know who Cher is? No. That uh, it's a uh, she is more of a personality than anything else, but she's an actress and singer, and uh, probably a writer, probably a producer. <laughs> but uh, way back in the '60s, like. And yesteryear, way before either of us was born, she was entertaining folks. She was part of the duo called Sonny and Cher. Uh, later, Sonny and Cher broke up. And um, then she uh, basically started her solo career. Uh, Sonny went into politics. And um, she started, you know, she put out some albums. Uh, she did some acting. Do you remember that song, Do You Believe in Love? Have you heard that one? No, I haven't. The song that goes, Do You Believe in after love stop and no you haven't heard that one no okay. I don't believe that I have your second no. assignment you don't have to listen to her entire thing you don't have to go back and listen to Sonny and Cher as a matter of fact would not recommend it but you could at least listen to that song uh, do you believe in love write it down in your notes that's your, it's stacked onto your other homework assignment that you did not accomplish like you don't even have to listen to Queen Latifah's entire t- catalog just 
a few, like five or six songs. Like, just get to the part where it, it plays like the first five songs and then starts going onto like the playlist of what her songs represent. Then you can stop right there. It's like only five songs. And then Cher, just listen to that one song. Do you believe in life after love? I, I um, just wrote that, it. That didn't sound good at good. all. Good. <laughs> yeah, it didn't. Stop singing. So uh, he also uh, directed Norman Jewison, uh, a movie called The Hurricane. That also stars Denzel Washington. Not going into the list because I didn't see it, but it's a very powerful movie because it's about a boxer. I believe he was falsely accused of killing someone and got put in jail. But uh, And basically, it's about him mentally surviving in jail. And so I think, I believe that uh, Norman Jewison was so impressed with Denzel Washington. He was like, well, I got to get him in a movie. I need to direct Denzel Washington in a movie because the dude is awesome because he was already impressed with Denzel with this movie, uh, which was written by Charles Fuller based on a play that he wrote. That That's some cojones right there. You write a play, that play is outstanding. It's like everybody loves it. So he was like, okay, I'm going to write the movie for it. But, uh, and it almost didn't get made. <laughs> and uh, music was by Herbie Hancock. You familiar with that? No. So Herbie Hancock, uh, he also wrote songs. He wrote songs for various movies like a pl- like 137 shows and movies is credit ha- he has some kind of writer credit but the ones that I just pulled out were uh, Soul that just came out now and Beavis and Butthead he wrote uh, at least one song for uh, Baywatch and um, Renaissance Man which is a movie so um, he the song that I remember him most for is uh, is it's a non it's like an instrumental song but it's an instrumental song uh, with a, uh, a lot of electronic music. I forgot the name of it, um, but everybody knows what I'm talking about. Don't stop it. Or something like that. I can't remember. But we love that song. <laughs> so uh, it was produced by Charles Schultz, or executive produced. Um, so that is... Uh, that that is, it was such an amazing movie. Oh, I'm sorry. It was just so amazing. Yeah, I'm glad you like it. But you know what? We're gonna go on a short break, and we'll be back to talk about our favorite parts of the movie, some movie trivia, and find out what some of the critic thoughts. Hey, fam, it's so, and I hope you're doing well. I was just sent the new Wayne Tech Signal 3.0 Signature Edition cell phone. It's the spanking new cell phone from Wayne Tech. And it's the most advanced and secure cell phone that I've ever had a chance to look at. It's the one everyone's talking about because it's not just a phone. It's a mini tablet. While other phones fold open and close, the WayneTech Signal 3.0 SE has a scrolling screen. This is the tech everyone's been talking about and waiting for. You can use it as a regular cell and you can unscroll the screen to the size of a small tablet. The main difference between the Signature Edition and the regular Signal 3.0 is that the Signature Edition is slightly bigger. It has a macro camera that isn't available on the regular Signal 3.0, and it has Bruce Wayne's signature embossed on the back. Although there's a rumor that a special, extremely limited edition of the Signature will be personally signed by Bruce Wayne himself. The Signal 3.0 SE comes in six colors white ice crocodile green, cat black, ivy red, 
ghost gray, and flame yellow. Check out these specs. An amazing scrolling screen. Scroll, it's at 160.9 millimeters in height by 62.9 millimeters in width. Unscrolled, it's 160.9 by 117.9 millimeters. And that's the width. It's almost twice the width. It comes with a 5,500 milliamp hour revolutionary carbon nanotube battery that lasts for a full three days. Fast charging 80 watt power brick is available, although you probably won't need it as long as the charge lasts. With this power brick, it charges the phone in 25 minutes. Wayne Tech's Super Glass 3, which is three times tougher than Corning's Gorilla Glass Victus. No ports at all on this phone. Allows for an IP68 rating. Completely dustproof and waterproof. So that also means wireless charging, wireless earbuds, under glass fingerprint reader, sound conducting glass if you want to play your music out loud. The whole phone acts like a speaker. No hole punch selfie. The camera is behind the display and despite this has outstanding picture quality. Besides the micro camera, on the back, it has a 50 times optical zoom, a standard 400 megapixel camera, and a wide angle lens. Last but not least, it'll have the new Pennyworth 12 operating system. I'm still testing it out, but so far, this is an amazing phone. No official word on the pricing. The word on the street is that this joint will be around $1,900. It should be coming out this spring, so get it if you can afford it. Now, back to the show. And we're back. Thank you for joining us once again to the Backlit Cinema Podcast. And um, so this movie uh, takes place during World War II, around 1944. So it's actually like the last year of the war. They, uh, it takes place in Louisiana at these um, colored army barracks. At this point in U.S. Army history, the the black troops were still separated from the white troops. They practiced segregation, as did much of the country. They believed in separate but equal, although when you separated them, they were not treated equally. So um, they were kept out of World War II largely. Uh, they, they were treated with uh, suspicion. They were People believed that they could not do the work that a soldier is supposed to do. Uh, on account of the color of their skin, that's why it's like you're allowed to join the army, but we're we're not gonna let all of you fight yet. You know that that sort of thing. So um, uh, and it, it struck me uh, the other thing that they kind of touch on, and that uh, I'm gonna hit in the trivia section is that uh, they not only talk about racism between um, uh, white people and black people, but a type of interracial racism. Uh, between uh, b blacks themselves, between black people. So nowadays we have what we call colorism, where uh, we look, <laughs> where you got some some people, uh, you know, they look they look at the the skin tone of black people, and and there there's sort of a kind of interracial um, tension, or uh, you know, discussion, or whatever. In, in that aspect, but in this movie, they explore a type of racism where uh, you have people that are trying to emulate what they think white people want to see, and they see the uh, another person 
who may not be literate or may be less educated, and they say, well, that, that person is a throwback, and we don't need that type of person anymore, and, and we're gonna, we need to erase that person. We need to get rid of that type of person. So that, that is the type of interracial racism that this movie also addresses. So uh, this is a heavy drama, heavy drama, because let me ask you something. You liked um, Hunt for the Red October, didn't you? Yeah. So that, that was some drama, although it has an action element. It was is a, a lot of sus suspense, but this time I, I decided to go deep in the drama. I was, I'm testing you, son. <laughs> See if you can handle that drama. So <laughs> no act, no action sequences. Total, the total antithesis of this show. <laughs> but uh, this is one of the ones I thought about. I was like, you know what? I, we need to explore this. We we need to we need to talk about this. So uh, let me ask you, what, what was one of your favorite parts of the movie? I see there, there are a couple of scenes where you see the captain walking around and all everyone just staring. I'm like, is he really a captain? This man's black and he's a captain? What? Right, right, right. And, and it, including with the white people, they just look at him like, they must have lost their minds making this man a captain. Who, who, who gave, who gave this man the captain <laughs> uniform? No one should give him that man a uniform. He's black. That's not allowed. Right. That, uh, that was at the very beginning of the yeah. movie, too. Another good one was when he got into, what was it, a Jeep? What is it? Yeah, that's a Jeep. Uh, you, yeah. you are correct. It okay. is called a Jeep. When uh, That's where Jeeps come from. Where, uh, <laughs> who was it? Uh, I think it was uh, Ellis. Ellis? Yeah. What? You talking about the, Com uh, the corporal? Corporal Ellis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, telling him, talking about, oh, yeah, I used to drive a fire truck. And then they had me drive, and then, you know, you had yeah, me drive some ambulance. ambulance. And then they had me driving this. I only flipped over twice. <laughs> twice. Okay. <laughs> and then he, he talked about one of the times that we flipped over some, oh, yeah, in the paper, said he, he uh, one of the guys questioned two white dudes that there was a, that's officers just like, and I wasn't told because oh because it was in the report I was given to someone else that I looked at because the jeep flipped over and I just happened to see it there right you know, right the jeep flipped over the paper scattered everywhere and you know I had to go pick up the paper I had to pick up the paper so I <laughs> another good one is when uh, Captain I'm not. Yeah, Davenport goes to question the two white officers. One of them gets mad, and he keeps telling him to sit down. And he's getting very agitated. Like, yeah, mm, I can definitely see that. White man not liking how there's someone above him who is black giving him orders, and he can't do nothing about it. Right, right, right. He wants to so bad. He though. wants to, but he knows he can't because he knows it will be written down by the other captain. Right, That is right. there. That, that is white. Right. That was that. That was a. Uh, the intent of the see he got his okay that here's one of my favorite parts so he goes to the colonel uh, who's in charge of the whole base to get permission to question the white officers so the colonel is very reluctant but he, at the end he says okay you can do it but you need to have a white officer there present with you but and I think it was kind of twofold one was that he didn't want um, the officers to feel like they're being told what to do by a black officer. Even though the black, uh, you know, Davenport, the black officer, he, he basically had the authority to question him and whatever. And uh, he didn't want to feel that like his officers had to do what he said. So he sent the white officer kind of as backup. And it's like, well, you don't have to do what this black man says, but you do have to do what this white man says. 
<laughs> so that was that was kind of the intent. Uh, and also, I think his his side content. I mean, his his other uh, motive was to basically to give Captain Davenport uh, necessary backup because, uh, and, and it's it's almost the same reason really. And um, he wanted uh, he he wanted to um, he felt that the the white officers was going to get unruly, so that's why he sent. Uh, Captain Davenport, that backup. So, um, yeah, and that's leading up to to your part. Well, what are, what are the things you got? Uh, I would say this the entire investigation of him listening to the stories to puzzle on who could have done it, on who hate him so much, or what was the necessary cause for it. Yeah, how they put the movie together was really that nice. That was really good, because it's like, oh, yeah, you know, it had to be the Klan. Nah, it can't be the Klan. Then it was the two white officers. Really? Yeah, because remember, they said they drove up, left them on the road, and then went away. It's like, yeah, it could be them because they would have the motive because of the way uh, the guy talked back to them. I was like, yeah, that, that could be a reason. It's like, no, 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 that can't be right. Especially when they told us that they didn't have any. Uh, well, what happened was. I forgot uh, what gun they had. It was a 45. Yeah, so 45. What, yeah, so what happened was um, they were coming from an exercise where they had guns and ammo or whatever. So. Uh, they saw the sergeant. They beat up the sergeant, and what? And they were saying, "Well, we couldn't have killed them because no one had ammo for that particular mission. No one had had that particular type of ammunition." He was the the master sergeant was killed with a forty five, but nobody on that team had a forty five, so they could not have killed him. And so uh, the his backup, I forgot. I know his first. I can't remember his first name. Charlie. I think it was. Yeah, his I believe. first name was Charlie. <laughs> so anyway, he uh, he said we should charge him. We should. He's like, no, let him go because he knew that if they say that they didn't have any ammo, then there's ways to back it up. There's gonna be paperwork. You know, somebody's gonna have a record. Is 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 you know, it's it's basically an ironclad. There's that, ironclad. and all, all along with that, because they're white, they're like, oh, you're a black hat mask. Well, no, he he didn't even believe it's because they're white. He was like, he knew that that was an ironclad alibi because uh, ammo is is a very controlled substance in in the army it's like you know everything you know every round has to be accounted for so like when we uh <laughs> when, when i was in the army and you you go on a uh you go on a shooting range and you know you basically have to uh practice your proficiency try to shooting at targets or whatnot so and then when you when you finish shooting your your weapon you got to go and pick up all the little brass on because you know how you you, the the uh, bullet comes out and then it shoots out a little piece of yeah. brass. You got to pick all of that up, every single piece up. <laughs> That's not fun. <laughs> and mainly is to be is to keep clean. Uh, but part of it is to uh, is is to have accountability for the rounds. It's it's tightly controlled, so it's not it's not something where it's that's they could easily lie about. So that's why you said let them go. My last favorite scene is basically at the end of the movie where, you know, he's walking, he sees the, who was it, this, not Sergeant, uh, Colonel, was it? Or the no, captain? the captain, yeah. yeah. And he's like, well, you know, got to get used to things over here and there, you know. It's like, uh, but, you know, can I get a vibe? Right. Like, wow. Well, see, that's it's kind of weird because they were in a parade. <laughs> he was asking for a ride while they were in a parade. It's, it's actually called a... Uh, uh, I think it's called a review. 
I can't remember what exactly what it's called, but it's like when they march all the soldiers in front of the, yeah. on the higher ups. So that that was kind of an unusual request, but still, He's that like, was kind I'm of. I'm gonna have to get used to you know seeing colored people with stripes, and I'm like, oh yeah, you'll get used to it. No, he said not with stripes, with oh, yeah, brass. With brass. He's like, oh yeah, you get used to putting sunglasses back on. I'm like, yep. He was like, yeah, you'll get used to it. Uh, yeah, because they was coming. Uh, but yeah, that was a. Uh, but see, having been in the military, I noticed a whole bunch of uh, protocol that was not being followed. Like so, like when you enter the room, you always take off your hat, whatever's covering your head. Yeah. They usually call it a cover, but they also call it a. Uh, what do they call it? Um, I didn't forgot. <laughs> but but uh. Yeah, so when you walk in a room, you remove your cover. You, you always take off your hat when you're indoors. But in that movie, they they were just like willy-nilly. Uh, everybody just didn't care. Some people <laughs> had their hats on. Some people didn't. I don't think the MPs supposed to take off their hats. No, the didn't. MPs yeah. never did. Yeah, but everybody else is supposed to. Like, if you're on guard duty, I don't think you ever take off your, your cover. But um, Or... Certain circumstances, certain and a military MP, that'd be a circumstance where they never remove their cover. I'm sure another another one you was gonna point out was when Captain when he went into the training field with all the smoke. Yeah, that that was kind of weird. It's like how do you accidentally go into a training field? I'm sure it's possible. It is 1944, so they don't have the same type of uh, safety precautions uh, that we have now. I mean, but, he almost got stabbed. So yeah, that. he almost got stabbed, <laughs> and he he would have died because that dude was he was enthusiastic about stabbing, <laughs> and he couldn't see him because of the smoke. He thought it was a dummy. <laughs> but uh, so um, what other parts are like? I, uh, I'm struggling to remember because the, the movie is already uh, my memory is already starting to fall because I'm an old man, and that's what that's what memories do. But um, like there are a couple of little things. Uh, Robert Townsend being a comedian, so his, his timing is impeccable. So um, when uh, he first picks up the captain and uh, he drops him off at the first stop, picks him up to take him to the second stop, he's like, uh, "You sure you don't want to go, uh, you know, to your barracks to uh, you know unwind or whatnot?" And he was like, "No, I need to see uh, Colonel So and So." He's like, "Are you sure?" It's like, <laughs> "You got problems with your ears?" No, I got big ears. I got big ears. I my, my whole family got big ears. It's hereditary. <laughs> that was that was funny. Um, I'm skipping around. So at the very end, uh, when they finally caught the perpetrators, um, so the, first they caught Private Smalls, and then um, and Private Smalls, he was like all sniveling and snobbering. It's like, who did it? Who did it? Did you shoot him? Did you shoot him? I was like, no, no. It was Peterson, you know. So, and then they called Peterson. Peterson kind of looked at him and was like, You told it, didn't you? <laughs> I mean, he can see it on his face. Like, I'm just have to ask you that person. I'm just right, going to do right. it to imitate you. Right, right, right. The way he looked at him. Uh, another part, uh, this part particularly struck me, especially from when I, like, if you ask me what I remember about the movie, the. The part I remember the most about the movie is when they're in the barracks and the sergeant comes in and you tell them, okay, they just won this baseball game. It's like, okay, now you got to go and paint these officers' barracks. And they was like, oh, man, we got to paint these. Why don't they paint their own barracks or whatever? And they were like, see, that, well, that, that's what happens. Anything you don't want to do, the color troops would do for you. 
Y'all ought to be our motto. <laughs> yeah, and they start going into song. Yeah, they start saying it. It's like, no, stop. This is what I'm talking about. Right, 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 right. Ignorant people know. Right, we don't need right. that here. <laughs> right, right. Uh, also, oh, here, here's a, a, a part that struck me. I thought it was real authentic. So, uh, I forgot his name. That, that master sergeant. So, he challenged Davenport to a, to a fight. Uh, master Sergeant Waters. He's like, I'm gonna teach him a lesson. You remember that? Oh, you're talking about when he just no, it wasn't it was a uh, it was against uh Peterson. Peterson. Right, right. What did I say? I said Smalls. Yeah, you said Davenport. Yeah, I said Davenport. My bad. Yeah, so he challenges Pri- private Peterson to a fight. I'm gonna teach him a lesson. Yeah. And so um so they're both fit men. Uh but uh what you call it? Uh Davenport. Uh, see I'm saying wrong Peterson. Things. Peterson had you know, reach. He, he was taller. He was heavier. He had to reach. Uh, the master sergeant was a small, skinny dude, but he was muscular. So, um, you know, people were expecting, uh, you know, uh, I guess they were really expecting uh, Peterson to just finish him off quickly. But as soon as you see how he held his guard up, he's like, this dude can't fight. <laughs> what is he doing? None of them could really fight. No, actually, no. See, you see the way that uh, Waters held his guard. You, yeah, he held like... He held know. it... Across his body. Now, do you know why they did that? Not really, not so as much. Here's the thing, and I didn't realize this. I saw this in a video on YouTube. So, what happened is that you see a lot of posters, old posters of fighters, and when they when they pose, they got they're guarding their body. That's because back then they had bare knuckle fighting. They didn't have boxing gloves. So back then you didn't hit somebody in the face. You hit somebody in the face, you will break your hand. That's why you see. Somebody in the fight, and they've been hitting somebody in the face. They got they got big bruised hands because your face ain't nothing but a, a bone. A bone. It, it's a big. It's a rock. It's a rock designed to protect your brain. So uh, you, you could rock somebody's bells um, if you hit them in the face, but that's not what you want to do. If you want to strike somebody in the face, you want to do it like an open hand slap or something or something like that. Uh, an open hand slap to to, to knock them down, or you want to hit them with an elbow or hit them with your arm, but you don't want to punch them in the face because you will break your hand if you hit it hard enough. So in bare knuckle fighting, they held their guard against their bodies because that was the target. You would hit somebody, in the, you try to hit them in the kidney, you try to hit them in the stomach, uh, you hit them like right in the middle of the chest, not in the victorial, but right in between because that's kind of a weak spot. <laughs> that's why they held their guard that way. That's why... Master Sergeant Waters held his guard that way because he had some training. He, you can see, he had real training where Peterson had no training at all. I mean, that, <laughs> and he also did throw sand in his face to get the advantage. Yeah, yeah, he did do that, and he was probably going to do it anyway. <laughs> uh, another thing that strikes me is like the style of the movie where the uh, they would, um, and it was this movie was based on a play, so what they did was very play-like. So what happened is that the uh, when they were doing their questioning, when Davenport would question whoever, whatever witness, you know, they would go back into a flashback, and yeah. it was a smooth transition yeah. to the to the flashback. And sometimes it was flashback within flashback, almost like Inception. <laughs> so, uh, like when he was talking to the piano player, I don't remember his name, talking to the piano player, and the piano player would talk about give his testimony, and then he would go into hearsay about what somebody else did with somebody else. Yeah. So, no, actually, I'm getting it mixed up. He, he was talking to, not the piano player. He was, t- he was talking to that dude that was like, uh, you know, 
whatever you don't want to do, the color troops would do for you. That dude, David Allen yeah. Greer's character. Uh, so anyways, or something like that. I'm now the I'm the friend of CJ. Right, right, right. So anyways, I'm getting way into the weeds. <laughs> so anyway, what happens is that, uh, you know, he... Um, they they the way they're going to flashback. I, I really like that that style that how they transition uh, in that way. And then one of the most striking things is that like when they first question uh, that that private uh, that you know with the white hair. Yeah, that had his stripes removed. Right. That the one that lost his stripes when um when Waters took his stripes. So when he first talked about Waters, it was. Basically, in glowing terms, you know, it's like, oh, he was a good guy. I can't see why anybody would kill him. He was a nice guy. And then in the flashback, you see him talking about CJ. Well, CJ's a nice dude. Everybody likes CJ. He's, he's a good man. Uh, that, that'd be CJ Memphis, uh, the, the guitar player that can barely read and write his own name. And then when he tells the truth at the end of the movie, he tells the truth. He's like, nobody liked him. He took my strikes. I hated that man. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, I worked ten years for that stripes. Like for something for something that I did, you would give him extra duty or you or, or something like that, but you wouldn't take his stripes. I mean, that was like above and beyond. Yeah, what is the type of guy that would basically like, oh, I'm gonna do this so I can get more power? Right, right, right. And they're they're both kind of that way, but uh, you know, he I think the the sergeant with the white hair well the private with the white hair he was a sergeant he he had more respect for the men and and waters seemingly did not so he told the truth and then in a flashback you see waters true nature and basically and when I, I mentioned uh like the like the kind of interracial racism that you know he considered himself like he was uneducated he educated himself uh, or he he worked hard to be educated and uh, based off of you know how he was raised by his father, and he basically hated black men who were uneducated, which was common in 1944, especially if you grew up on a farm. So uh, he hated people like that. And he basically wanted to punish them for for being the way they are. So um, and so when you see his true nature, and then it's like. In this, in this particular scene, he's talking about CJ, and then the whole scene goes dark. Like first, you see CJ in the background. You notice that? Yeah, he, he's in the background. He's looking in the mirror. You can see his reflection. The whole entire it starts slowly face up, right. slowly face but where you only see his face, and it looks like he's looking at the camera. It's no longer just a reflection at that moment. Right, right, and that's basically that. That's his soul. <laughs> it's like, what? What? What do you know? What's going on here? You got something on your shirt? Oh, okay. It's a hole. No, it's like, oh, goodness gracious. Okay. Well, that's gone. <laughs> so anyways, uh, okay. That's take care. So <laughs> anyways, uh, that, that was his soul right there. And, um, and then it pulls out. So it, it kind of showed, and it, I like the way it showed different, different aspect of, of when they were, what you call it, going through the, the flashbacks. So that was... That that was that was a in, it was just impactful. I'm gonna use that word. It was an impactful movie. So um, let let's go into some of the trivial elements mm -hmm. of the making of this movie. 
Director Norman Jewison said of Denzel Washington in his autobiography titled, This Terrible Business Has Been Good to Me. The camera loved Washington. He was intelligent, rebellious, today, totally, oh, totally confident, and spectacular, mm, spectacularly talented. He was also confident. He, was, uh, he often thought he knew more than the director. But he watched and learned. He never believed the film was going to work until after he saw it finished. He didn't stop being above above it all until he saw the film with an audience and realized it worked. Another thing about this, you'll see why later on in the trivia, why he thought he knew better than the director. <laughs> but... Uh, also, Denzel Washington just had that swagger, especially in his younger days. Just the way he walked, just the way he looked at people, the way he turned. <laughs> he just had an enormous amount of uh, swagger. Um, only act, the only actors, uh, Adolph Caesar, Denzel Washington, and William Allen Young appeared in both this film and its original Negro Ensemble Company Off-Broadway Theater production in New York City. So that's why he knew more. Well, he acted as though he knew more than the director is because he was in the You're original play. Like, I was play. in the original play. I right. know what to do. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, but uh, he's not the director. You need to, you need to fall back. <laughs> the film music score was interpretative, impromptu. Mm. Let, let, me, let me get that word for you. Interpretative, uh, impromptu. Music entirely impromptu. <laughs> Imp, uh, imposed by improved, improvised improvised by Herbie Hancock along with around half a dozen other musicians. So what books did you read this week? Okay, you, you need to get into reading some books. No. I, I reading out loud. No, That's no, what you no, need to no, do. You no. need to, I don't like reading out loud. Thank you, you so much. I remember, uh, what you call it? Your mom, she told me that uh, you didn't like going over your grandma's house because your grandma would make you do math and read books. Exactly. <laughs> that's, that's not what the whole point was going over to the grandparents' house for. Right. It was right. to relax and have fun, but no. The funny thing is, uh, your great grandmother that we all call Granny, she um was not exactly like that. She, like she would give us stuff to read, but she wouldn't be like, "Here, read this." She would just that, those were her gifts. She gave books as presents. Uh, I mean, she gave a lot of things as presents, but if she but she wouldn't like force. A lot of things on you. What she did uh, force your cousin Tommy to play the piano. There was that. There's Tommy. <laughs> but but that's because he made the mistake of having to live with her along with his mother, uh, and they lived with them for a while. So uh, it's like, well, why are you in this house? You gonna learn how to play this piano? <laughs> but uh, yeah, but she didn't. She wasn't really the type to force stuff on you like uh, your, your grandma is. Um, but I, she did give me like, I think one of the best gifts she gave me was um she because I guess she only gave it to me because she knew I liked to read, and um I was into reading the Bible a lot. So one of the things she gave me was uh it was a book called the book, and it's basically <laughs> it was uh, um uh, what do you call it uh it was a a modern language version of the Bible. So it's like you know it wasn't thou goeth to the mooneth, it was he went go to the moon. It was that's it was written in plain English. <laughs> so uh, I, I read that book a lot. So she she did she did do that. Anyway, 
Back to the show. Um, the picture was originally given a rating of R by the MPAA. This meant, by definition, that the picture was classified as being potentially detrimental to children. The rating was eventually changed to a PG rating upon appeal. Norman Jewison has said of this, strange looking back on it now that anyone could find the film detrimental to young people. I made it for young people. I wanted them to know how heroic their forefathers were, how their fathers and grandfathers had fought for a country that wouldn't acknowledge them as equal with white men who had fought alongside them. How you could give your life for in defense of your country but couldn't be led into battle by a black officer. I wanted my children and their white friends to see it and understand more about racism and its insidious spread over the centuries and into our lives. This picture dealt with racism and racial themes, including what Norman Jewison called black racism, which is racial uh, discrimination by black amongst, against blacks. Jewison had previously uh, examined the subject matter of racism in his early picture, earlier picture in The Heat of the Night that came out in 1967. That movie was nominated for seven Academy Awards, winning five Oscars, including the President's Beast prestigious. prestigious Best Picture. A Soldier Story that came out in 1984 was also Oscar nominated for Best Picture, but didn't win. Ah. That that has a hint of. I mean, can can you smell it? Well, yeah, you're gonna say racism. A waff. It's a waff of racism uh, right there. Okay. Well, I don't know who it was up against, uh, but like I always say in these matters, all of the films that are nominated deserve to win, and this one should have won, but did not. Samuel L. Jackson originated the role of Private Henson in A Soldier's Play, which was played by William Allen Young in the film version. Guitarist. Larry Riley and singer Patti LaBelle wrote and performed their song, their own songs for the picture. Okay. Uh, Patti LaBelle. Oh, LaBelle? Okay. LaBelle. Listen, I don't know how... You're ruining my icon over here. Listen, I don't know how some people spell their, say their names, okay? Patti LaBelle is one of the greatest it singers just looks like it says of our kind. LaBelle, like... Okay. Well, you know, don't, the don't E is silence. Well, I can't tell. <laughs> can't believe your young millennial behind did not know who Patti LaBelle Yeah, because I didn't really is. listen to music like that back then when I was um, growing up. Now, here's, I didn't realize that was Patti LaBelle when I watched the movie. I recognize her now, but when I was growing up, she used to have these crazy hairstyles. And uh, so when I saw her in the movie, I did not recognize her. And um, did I say that it was a... Uh, Oh, sure, I'm, I'm, I lost my place. Larry Riley. So he was, uh, what you call it? He played CJ. I'm 90% sure. Let me go back to my, yeah. the phone. Yes, do that. Yeah, let me, yeah, I am right. Larry Riley. So yeah, so he's an actual guitar player. Um, he's an actual singer. Um, he wrote his own songs. All those songs that you saw in the movie, or probably most of them. I'm not going to say all, but most of them. They, those were his inventions. Pat Bell sang her own songs. So when they opened the movie, uh, and she's, I feel like she's, a, no, there's two women in the movie. There was the colonel's wife and there was Patti LaBelle. And she played Big Mom or Big Mary, something like that. And what that was that, that 
uh, that bar that your soldiers went to. Yeah. So um, so she's singing, and um, so that's all her. That's all Patti LaBelle. It's like it's not because she is a singer. So, <laughs> but it's just that, and that's basically all she did in the movie. Like she didn't really have any dialogue. No, there she was just no, sang she the whole song. Sang. That was like a, that was perfect for her. <laughs> so, uh, oh, this is interesting. Bill Clinton visited the set during principal photography. Clinton was very supportive of the, of the film and assisted with providing the use of the Arkansas Army National Guard for, um, uh, for a marching parade sequence, which the production, with its limited budget, could not finance the hiring of that many extras and background artists. So I believe all those soldiers uh, at the end of the movie, those were real soldiers. soldiers at the time... Around. Bill Clinton was the governor of Arkansas, so so that's why he was able to pull those strings. I mean, when you do look at the margin, it's like that looks very very realistic for it to be, you know, actors doing all that type of marching, you know, looking off camera, continue to march. Yet, yeah, no, those have to be actual military, people right? As a matter, down. yeah. As a matter of fact, I think in uh, even in modern films, they they will often use uh, soldiers as, as background extras. Uh, let's see here. Norman Joyson said of this film, uh, on his auto, um, audio commentary, no one really wanted to make this movie a black story. It was based on World War II, and these themes were not popular at the box office. No, they were not. Um, hopefully we've grown since then, but I, I can't see us growing. Here, here's a phenomenon. I don't know if I talked about this. I, I learned this from somebody else in another podcast. When you have a, a real popular movie, uh, a movie that makes a lot of money, um, what happens is that other studios will imitate that movie. So sometimes in the same year, so you have like the Avengers and some other movie will come out. That's why other movies try to do their own universe, like the Marvel. Oh, oh no, 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 I know what you're talking about, like rip-off. Is that what you mean? Like not, not rip-off. Okay, I was just, just say. It's just going to be simple. Like, you can't say that the Justice League is a no, good I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about like you can make the Avengers, and then someone in a different country will make the same thing, but just change the character's name and backstory just a little bit on a gorgeous, gorgeous, horrible budget. I understand what you're talking about, but that's not, that's not exactly what I mean. What they'll do is they'll make, like, the same type of movie. So, uh, and, um, so you have, when Marvel did their... Uh, uh, MCU, yeah, MCU, yeah, the whole universe with different characters, and they join together, and this is one big universe. DC was and like, then DC tried let's to copy do that. that, right? Let's do that because they had all the characters, it's but like, it was horrible, easy. right? Well, they the writing was bad. See, they, but they all, but they had all the characters. It's something that they could theoretically they can easily do uh, if they had the right story, and then. Also, who was trying to do that was Universal. Universal had the rights to all of these monsters. Oh, yeah, exactly. Because what was it? The Mummy. They right. Was like, it started off we with... We have the Mummy. Oh, also, Jack and the Hyde is in this. Yeah, look, Jack right. and the Hyde. So you know what we're trying to do failed so bad. They're like, right. let's cancel this entire Yeah, they thing. had to because it was such a bad movie. But, it, you know, they... They had a they had all of the elements to to Make put together this monster a monster movie. universe. It's something that they've done before. Like back in like the fifties and sixties, you would have movies like Dracula, uh, Frankenstein, me, Frankenstein, right, right, uh, Dracula, me, some other dude, right, whatever. Uh, the Mummy and Frankenstein, the Mummy and Dracula, the, the Dracula and the Wolfman. They had done it before, so basically it was something that they was trying to do again because the success of Marvel. Bigger. But you know you can't do it on top of a bad story. That's the problem. 
So <laughs> that happens. But anyways, maybe they'll try again next time. Or some, or you'll have something like uh, Lord of the Rings, or somebody. I, I can't think of an example with Lord of the Rings, but somebody will try to, to try to make a, a similar property, like some some kind of sword sorcery, uh, similar to Lord of the Rings. I think that's probably why Game of Thrones came about. I th- I'm thinking is because of Lord of the Rings, because of the su- success of Lord of the Rings. People are like, well, well, people will watch this. They will watch dragons. They will watch wizards. They'll watch somebody with a sword. They'll watch someone betray another just off the bat. Right. So let, let's put that and let's let's put that in a TV show. So that's um, so that's uh, so basically Hollywood copies itself in in order to garner more success. But that doesn't necessarily happen with black movies. Like so, you'll have something like a, a Boys in the Hood, which is a hugely popular black movies, but you won't see like a whole bunch of follow up of Boys in the Hoods that that follows it. In a recent example, this is a movie called Girls Trip uh, that was a really popular movie that came out a couple of years ago with uh, Tiffany Haddish and uh, Jada Pinkett and Queen Latifah and somebody I'm forgetting. So that was, uh, so that was usually, but you didn't see like a copy of that movie. You would expect other studios to copy that since it was successful, but you didn't see any follow-up copies of that movie. You might see a sequel to that movie, but you don't see any copies of it. So um, that's, that's basically what. It, so when he's talking about, you know, it's hard to get a, a black story published in Hollywood. It, it, that's one of the things. Like it, you have a successful uh, movie about or a story about black people, but it doesn't get copied by the studios because uh, it's hard to push that type of story in the studio. But I think things are getting impro- uh, are improving a little bit. So um, the film was nominated for three Academy Awards, including Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Supporting Actor, and a very prestigious Best Picture Oscar, but failed to win any. The play, though, won three Village Voice Obie Awards, as well as the Theater Club Award, the Outer Critics Circle Award, and the New York Drama Critics Award. So the best supporting actor was, oh man, there was something about, oh, I see it now. All right, go ahead and read the next one. Uh, Norman Jewison offered to make the film for five million for Columbia and take no director's fee, but the Directors Guild of America, the DGA, in, uh, intervened and instead uh, insisted Jewison be paid scale or the minimum director's fee. Columbia, like Warner Brothers, was concerned about the picture's commercial prospects through Columbia's head, Frank P- uh, Price, did like the film's story. Yeah, so they was worried that, it w- that people wouldn't go to movie theaters to watch a black story. That's what basically what that was. And finally, Charge Fuller's source... Hmm, I can read. Source stage play, A Soldier's Play, won the 1982 Pulitzer Prize for drama... This picture was the second military movie in just a few years where an African-American actor portraying a drill sergeant was Oscar-nominated for the best supporting actor. I don't even know if I'm reading this right. (laughs) Uh, Well, see, here's the problem. It's saying where somebody wrote this wrong because it says where an African-American actor playing a drill sergeant. uh, The master sergeant uh, was not a drill sergeant. This was not a training base. But... It did look like he was wearing a drill sergeant's hat, so that, that's that's where it's messed up. <laughs> but this is not. Uh, I, I guess uh, I would probably have to look deeper into the story, but I did not get the feeling that this was um, 
uh, a training base. I got my idea was that this was a full-on uh, military base because they said that he was in charge of a baseball team. They were just they were really most of their time playing baseball. So um, so he wasn't actually a drill sergeant. But anyways, that that's what kind of confused me when I when I'm reading. I think it's because it he tried to act like one. Well, no, a sergeant acts that way because he's commanding troops. But a, a drill sergeant uh, is is basically somebody who is actually training brand new recruits in the military. Train brand new recruits, but these weren't brand new recruits. These these guys have been there for a while. <laughs> but anyways, um, I'll just say portraying a sergeant <laughs> was uh, Oscar nominated for the best supporting actor Academy Award. Uh, these were Adolf Caesar in this film playing Sergeant Waters, who did not win, and Lewitt Gossett Jr. portraying Gunnery Sergeant Emil Foley in An Officer and a Gentleman in 1982, with Gossett winning his Oscar. And so I'm like, Adolf Caesar should have won his Oscar. <laughs> That's all I got to say about that. <laughs> he was, he was uh, the best supporting actor. He should have won that joint. He should have. Anyway, what the critics think? So critics are Rotten Tomatoes. This is 90%. The audience gave it 85%. What is wrong with people? This is a 90% move around here. And then uh, Metacritic gave it, has uh, aggregated it to 66%. Man, I don't know what's going on over at Metacritic. D to me, it seems like Metacritic is not trustworthy. Um, Very to you, it's not trustworthy. Yeah, to me, it's not. I'm not uh, if I want to get my uh, aggregated critic score... I'm going to go over to Rotten Tomatoes because Metacritic is lying. Um, so Peter Travers, People Magazine, said, Fuller's writing and Caesar's performance, the power of this soldier story is impressive. You know what? I agree. I agree. What say you? Yes. Yeah. Um, Roger Egypt. Roger Egypt, that's, that's a callback. That's, that's somebody from my childhood. Let me see what Roger Ebert got. He used to be telling the truth. What is Roger Ebert of the Chicago Sun Times? What, what is he saying? He said, did this movie have to be so lockstep, so trapped in his mechanical plot, so limited by its uh, murder mystery? Uh, you know what? Yes. Yes, it did. It, this is see, not. See, he didn't even give a review. That's just him asking a question. This dude is <laughs> kind of an a-hill. I didn't read the whole review. I guess I would have got a better understanding, but still. Uh, you know what? I never liked him anyway, because, you know, he'd be fake. I mean, talking about, yes, because it's a murder mystery. I mean, a lot of murder mysteries are written like that. What, you wanted a full, uh, this ain't a soap opera. <laughs> Goodness gracious. <laughs> um, anyways, uh, Lawrence Ben-Gelder, I hope I'm saying that right, New York Times said, Mr. Rollins gives an arresting performance under volatile, dramatic circumstances, and that is the truth. He was acting his A off. Lord, for the second guy, you claim that he speaks the truth, and then you call him a faker? Yeah. Yeah, uh -huh. yeah. I, I stand by that statement. Uh, Nell you know, I don't even know if I copied and pasted this one correctly. Ninao, maybe? Who knows? Nell yeah. Ninao from Movie Mom said, Jewison's lack of interest in developing anything other than his rather de debatable ideological point relegates the film to the realm of moderately competent TV drama. So she is one of those people that I think the studios was worried about. <laughs> and just a speckled voice in the dust. Right, that right. don't, that, you know, other people don't agree. 
Especially when it came she, to the she's critics. One of the, she's one of the 10% of critics. Uh, yeah, wanted to say something, come out a debatable ideological point. She don't even know what she's talking about. <laughs> so anyway, uh, man, that, that was a powerful movie. If you have not seen A Soldier Story, I would encourage you to see it. I actually paid for the movie. I'm probably going to watch it again. Uh, I don't know. Maybe five, ten years from now. I don't know. Yeah, you do I that. around to it. <laughs> In the meantime, there's so many other movies to see. Uh, what was the movie we did last time? House? Yeah, it yeah, was so House. House, I forgot to mention. That's, uh, it's still available on Amazon Prime, so you can watch that for free if you have that. But I had to pay for a soldier story. That was uh, that cut me to the quick. <laughs> but I didn't even rent it. I paid for it. I paid full price because I was like, man, this movie is worth it. Really, it was that worth that you paid full price. I paid full price. Uh, it wasn't even on sale. Fifteen dollars. Anyways, if you have not seen a soldier story, I would encourage you to see it. It it is a powerful and impactful movie. My son liked it. What the millennial perspective is that it is worth seeing. Am I right? I don't know. Maybe. What, what's the generation after millennials? Because technically, Gen Z. You're a Gen Z. I'm basically in between because I looked it up. No one can say which it is. And I'm like, all right, it looks like I'm in between. doesn't matter. <laughs> You're an in-betweener. Because I've been calling you a millennial all my life. Maybe I should continue to call you that. It doesn't even matter. <laughs> or Gen Z for Gen Zach. How about that? No. <laughs> anyway, thank you for joining us. We will be here next week. Please remember to uh, visit backflipcinema.com um, and get your merch there. We are out of here.